everybody. It's Keytrain Water with the Designated Drummer Podcast. And today I'm going to settle in and talk a little bit about the two things that I really am um, passionate about when it comes to drumming and all that. Um, we're going to get into what's um, known as the groove and the pocket. And we're going to really dive into this and get into it and figure out what's what. And um, I'm going to try to define a few things for you guys. Um, like what's a groove, what makes a good groove, um, how do you, you know, how do you tell if it's a good groove or not, um, what it is, and also um, the uh, what's called pocket, in the pocket. You've probably heard that term before, like playing in the pocket. And we're going to talk about uh, things like um, the groove, the pocket, and also something else called deep pocket. And we're going to talk about some definitions of what those things are and you know, what makes them cool and what makes them pleasing to listen to. So first of all, when you're listening to a song, there's a reason why that song is pleasing to the ear. It's because it has a groove. And I mean, a groove doesn't just mean that it's just the drummer playing and that's the only thing. There's a groove, there's there's a whole group of musicians playing along with the drummer. And that is really special when it all clicks together and everybody's playing really well and it's just uh it's so amazing to just you know be able to play along with a great band and great musicians and all that and just have the the groove come out exactly the way you wanted the song and um you know and i'm going to show some examples here in a little bit about uh like a like a drum machine versus a person like a human playing live and and I'm going to show you the differences between how one sort of sounds a little bit sterile and not as entertaining now not to say that 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 wouldn't make a hit song because there's been certainly a lot of hit songs out there that were that had a drum machine playing perfect time and it was uh you know like a um what they used to call a lindrum and that was back in the 80s uh, I think his name was Roger Lynn. He invented this machine that was sampled drums, actual drum sounds that were put into a little computer and in, inside a box. And you could either play it live, you could push the buttons and play them, or you could quantize them and make them play perfect. And I believe that a lot of the songs from Huey Lewis's sports album, which is one of the most famous uh, Huey Lewis albums ever, was... All, mostly mostly the Lindrum, and I think there's some overdubs in there of real drums, like on the song I Want a New Drug. There's some Tom Fills and things like that that um, have real drums in it, and so it's not completely all the Lindrum, but a lot of those hits that you know from Huey Lewis were they had a Lindrum playing, and I think it was just because it was easy to, you didn't have to mic anything, and you set it up, and it was perfect time, and um all that you'd have to mic up a bunch of drums and that kind of thing, and it just sounded great back then. You know those Lindrums, and not to say that that wasn't that that wouldn't make a hit song, but I'm just saying that a drummer playing with with what is the word I'm trying to look for? Um, a human playing the drums and having expression—that's the word I'm looking for. And I've heard I uh, talked to Kim Mitchell um, from Canada a lot, and he was on my podcast. Um, a few months back and uh, really enjoyed talking to him. And I remember him talking some of the first conversations we ever had when I first met him was that he said, I really miss 
playing with a real drummer, a live drummer, and when it comes to things like recording albums and Pro Tools and stuff like that, he feels like that uh, the drum machines and the drum, the computer drums, although they sound great, you know, you could just punch in a beat and play along to it, but he said he missed the actual a drummer with expression in the way you would play Phil's sometimes maybe a little slower or you could lay back on the snare a little bit. And uh, we're going to get into that and talk about what's really cool about that, about like a live drummer playing versus uh, a machine and all that and what the groove really means. Now, on some of those Michael Jackson records, um, there was some great drum machine stuff going on there and it didn't take away from the song at all. It added to it, but it wasn't so much about the drums. It was more... And, and the way I think of it is when you have a drum machine playing like that, then you're obviously not making it about the drums. You're making it about other things like a cool bass line or the lyrics of the song or uh, the, the way the guitar is playing along with it. Uh, there's your expression right there. There's your your human thing going on there with, with what you would perceive a drummer as having perfect time. But sometimes that can almost be a little bit sterile as, as we talk about, uh, in the music business, we talk about, um, play into a click track. Sometimes, uh, people talk about that as being sort of a groove killer and all that. And I'm just going to talk a little bit about that. It's really not a groove killer if you don't want it to be. And I know that, uh, Paul Lyme, who I've also had on my podcast, he has played, he's played with click, uh, probably from, I don't know, from the late eighties, early 90s all the way up to currently playing with the click track because the producers wanted to have that perfect time and especially when you've got things like pro tools and you've got a a computer grid to lock to um, you almost have to play to a click now but that doesn't mean that you have to play like a drum machine you can still have like what Kim Mitchell called expression and play uh, you could you could play around with the beat a little bit go ahead of it behind it and and really the click track is sort of more of just a guide to guide you into the, you know, the beat and just to have not perfect, well, yes, perfect time, but to play to that and play like a human, play like, almost play like you're a drummer, just playing perfect, you know, good time. And it comes off as still following the grid and it still, you know, starts out with one tempo and ends with the same tempo and all that, which is cool. And not to say, by the way, that that's necessarily a bad thing because Honky Tonk Women by uh, the Rolling Stones was a great song. And nobody ever said that that wasn't a good song or that, uh, oh, the drums sped up. But I'm, I'm here to tell you, they really, they start out, Charlie Watts plays, and he's a great drummer. He's a great drummer. He's not like Mr. Jazzy. Uh, like Vinnie Caluda or Neil Peart or anything like that. He's just, you know, it's just Charlie Watts playing. It's just him. It's a human. It's Charlie Watts himself. And you, when you hear those drums, you, you can just picture him playing, just sitting back there and having that sort of dead stare where he's just in the zone and he's playing that beat, almost like he's bored, but you know he's just in deep thought and he's playing the part. And, you know, that band, just they followed Charlie Watts. Charlie Watts was the the leader of that groove, and he created the groove, and they followed it. But on Honky Tonk Women, which is a great song, always has been, uh, was a big hit. It sped up. It started out one tempo, and by the end of the song, it's it's cooking. And not to say that that's a bad thing, you know, like symphonies. Uh, when people play in big symphonies, that 
there's no locked on grid. There's no perfect tempo. It's just an expression of the way the conductor is conducting that orchestra and having a feel for uh, the tempo and, and getting everybody to play together uh, with that tempo. And whether it speeds up or slows down, you, you follow that conductor. And so being a drummer in a band is, in a way, it's a little bit like being a conductor of a symphony. And that's the way I feel about it when I'm playing. Of course, now, when we play live, we do play most of our songs to a click track. There's a click track going because we have video screens and all this stuff going on. And it was just easier to lock onto that if we have a click track. And I actually personally enjoy playing to a click track and just, you know, having that perfect, not perfect time, well, perfect time, yes, but having, being able to express myself as a drummer, but with a perfect tempo going on, playing around that perfect tempo. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit and what some of my drummer friends have said about that and how they deal with it and how they, they work that up and how they've dealt with it and practiced with it and, and sort of become part of their professional gig, you know, is playing with the click because everybody's kind of got to do it now. Um, it's kind of become a thing because of Pro Tools and because of things like um, when you play live, you have things like video screens and stuff like that going on. You have, you're sort of expected to play to a click, but that doesn't mean you have to play like a drum machine. You can play, you can express yourself, and then always come back and stay locked on that, that click. You can't get off of it too far. You have to stay on it, but that's not a bad thing. You, know, you want to stay with a pretty steady beat. So um, I want to talk a little bit about what a groove is. Okay, so let's start with a groove, like the definition of a groove. Okay, a groove is basically where you are playing a beat and it's repeating this beat in a pleasing manner. And that just means that you're, it doesn't have to be the same thing. It's just a feel. It's like a feel. It feels good, a groove. And the other musicians can play along with that. And then when they fall into that groove, it just becomes a, a feel-good thing. And um, the best way I can describe it is that you have, let's say you have, uh, like there's a hill, like you're going down a hill, almost like you would ride a, um, like a, um, a, a sled down a hill. Now let's say that you took a tractor or something and you carved a V-shaped groove down that hill. And you don't have to, you don't have to, to dig it uh, like this ditch we're talking about, you don't have to dig it perfectly straight. You can make an S curve. You can go, it can, it can flatten out for a second. It can go down steeper and it's almost like a roller coaster. Think of it as a roller coaster. Roller coasters go up and down. They're always moving forward, but they go up and down and left and right and that kind of thing. So imagine this V groove that we've cut into this hill and then there's, um, a bunch of bowling balls. You've got these bowling balls that you're going to just push into this ditch and you're going to start out on the outside of the ditch, and you're going to push these bowling balls down into the ditch, starting with the drummer. Let's say the drummer is bowling ball number one. You push that bowling ball down into the ditch, and it starts rolling, and it falls into, literally falls into that groove. It, it has to stay in that groove because it is down inside that ditch that you cut into this hill, and that bowling ball is rolling down the hill. Now, all of a sudden, you throw in another bowling ball. That's the bass player. And then another bowling ball, that's the keyboard player. And then another bowling ball, that's the, the guitar player. And now all these balls are rolling down this groove, and they're following left and right, and it may go up a little bit, but it's still rolling forward, still going downhill, and it's still moving, and it may go left and right, and it may follow a sort of a path. But 
not to say that left or right or up or down is is wrong. It's they're all in the same groove and they're in the same path. And that's the way I think of a groove being with a band and having these other musicians that it starts with the drummer laying down that groove. And even if a song starts with uh, something like keyboard or guitar or something like that, once the drums come in and, and sort of establish the rest of the, the feel and then everybody else can kind of, that starts that groove, that sort of that V pattern. And then everybody sort of falls into it, you know, and that, that's the feel good to me. That's kind of the feel good part of a song. And uh, I've always thought of it that way as kind of a, a groove, a literal groove being carved into something. And then these balls sort of rolling down and following this groove all the way down to where it gets to the bottom, which would be sort of like the end of the song. Um, so, that's kind of my, you know, my understanding and my feeling in, in my mind about what a groove is, is literally like a groove. Um, now, I'm going to move on and talk about this term, this word that we call pocket. And you might have heard somebody mention pocket like, oh man, he's like way in the pocket. That, that groove is way in the pocket. Okay, so now you cannot... This is by definition. You cannot have a pocket without first having a groove. So there is no pocket unless you have a groove. So you have a groove. You start out with, it's almost like saying you can't open a bank account without any money. You have to have money. So first you have to have a groove. That's your money. And then the pocket, you're going to put that groove in that pocket. And so what I mean by pocket is the best way I can describe it is when you're playing, like you're playing drums, and it's a kick drum and a snare drum, your 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 downbeat and your backbeat. Um, when that backbeat hits, you lay back just a slightly on that backbeat, and that becomes a pocket. That becomes the pocket. Now, nobody ever said, uh, like, "Hey, can you can you kick that beat up a little bit up into the pocket?" It just doesn't. That's just it's not a thing. But when you say, hey, can you can you pull it back into the pocket? It's like you're putting that groove down inside a pocket. Let's take those uh, those bowling balls and put them down inside a pocket. And now they're all together, but they're down inside that pocket together. And that's kind of the way I feel about the snares kind of falling back into that pocket. The pocket is almost like in that groove that you're playing. It's almost like a place for that backbeat to sit. And... It just has a feel to it. It has a feel that you feel like you're not being rushed. It's almost like a relaxing feeling. And then, of course, there's songs also that are out there that don't have a pocket. They have a, 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 a sort of a forward feeling to them where you play on top of the beat. And that's not a bad thing either, but it's definitely not a pocket. It's more of a, a feel, like a rushed feel. And sometimes in rock music and things like that, um, that has a that has a cool like the police uh, when Stuart Copeland plays. I always think that he sort of tends to play on the top of the beat, and that's cool because he has that tight snare, and he's those drums are driving everything, you know, and it's almost like everything just kind of falls slightly behind him. And uh, but when you hear something like um, James Brown's drummer, and um, you know he was an amazing guy. His name was Clyde Stubblefield, and when you hear samples of the James Brown break the drum break and that's that's that guy that's that guy Clyde Stubblefield and he explained one time in how they came up with that famous beat now I've got my little uh keyboard set up here um and uh 
it's got some drums in it and all that and i'm gonna i'm just gonna kind of i don't know if you can hear this or not um something like um you know like playing this this james brown kind of thing it's like you know something like that that um that that what you would have heard like on a james brown song where the the drum break just has that cool um that 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 cool beat the way he would do the snare and all that and that definitely he had a way of of finding the pocket you know find laying back in that pocket and the rest of the band just had to follow that you know it's such a great feel and that beat that sort of break break beat breakdown drum break thing beat where james brown would just like feel it you know and and the rest of the band that that drummer um you know uh clyde stubblefield he he explained one time that that beat that has been sampled so many times that that one with the kind of backbeat snare thing with that that off the syncopated snare um that they were on their way to cincinnati on their bus or whatever and it was like late at night and we're fixing to check into the hotel room and the way he tells the story is uh james brown wanted to go in the studio right then that like that night he had something he wanted to lay down and they were all pretty tired and so um clyde went in there and he was dog tired you know but he went in there and he played just uh i think it was the song was i don't remember the name of the song something about the drums um uh was like seven and a half minutes long or something like that it just kept going and going and going and so he just i guess out of tiredness or whatever he just decided to lay way back and play really simple and if you hear it it's just like very um in the pocket very just like his like you you can't tell that he was tired but the, when he explains it like that i kind of understand oh he was just like laying way back playing real simple and he was just tired and didn't want to wear himself out too much so he just laid it back and played it and it fell into the pocket like that and maybe that could be one of the reasons why that drum break that beat that song the drums in that song were so cool because he just laid back and he fell into the pocket it just was like the perfect pocket anyway um enough about that um so anyway being able to play back in the pocket like that is uh, an amazing thing and the bands always love it if you're a drummer you got to learn how to keep that backbeat the snare the backbeat back just a tiny little bit to where it falls into that pocket and it just has a feel that you just can't you can't quite beat that, you know, and that's such a great feel. Musicians love it because they're sort of in a way they're playing and they're, they're waiting for that backbeat, you know, and then when it comes, it's just a comfort feel. It's like, Oh, there it is, you know? Um, and it's just, I don't know. It just has a great relaxed feel to it when you, when you do fall back into the pocket like that. And, uh, so I'm going to move on to, uh, the next thing that we're going to talk about the, as far as pocket is, what's called deep pocket. And so you can't have a deep pocket without first having a pocket. So you see where I'm going with this. So when you have a groove, you can't have a pocket without a groove. So you have to start with the groove and then you falls into a pocket and a deep pocket. The, the definition of deep pocket is when the, the pocket is in a, your groove and your pocket is continuing and it's going on and on and on. And it's sort of a, an extended it's an extended groove and pocket, and you're you're just keeping that going without wavering. If 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 you know what I mean, it's a deep 
pocket. It's it's a groove that falls into a pocket and it and it's extended. It's an extended uh, groove, a pocket without wavering. You know, in other words, uh, it just keeps going and going and going. You don't do a fill. You don't do any other kind of stop or anything like that. It just kind of keeps going like a train, like a like a chug 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 train. You know, it just keeps on chugging, and that's um, you know that's what they call deep pocket. And boy, I tell you, it um, it really does feel good when you when you're playing with a band live and you know these things. You know about groove and you know about pocket and you know about deep pocket and all that. It's it's such a pleasure to to know that and to play with that in mind. And I will say that. Um, and I think the band really kind of locks in on that and they appreciate it. And there's something about being a drummer in a band that I love about it that is where the band feels comfortable with you. They never have to wonder where the tempo is or where the beat is or whether or not you're going to be there for them or not. You know, you just they just have a, a comfort with you and they know that you're going to play well and that you're going to fall into that groove. And that's just what you live for. You live for that groove. And uh, it really is an amazing feeling. Um, so I want to talk a little bit about um, a couple of things here. Um, now, uh, Stevie Wonder, one of the great singers of all time, you know, and pop writers and all that, he actually was a drummer. I mean, he actually is a drummer. He um, started out when he was first making records, and you hear those drums in there. That's Stevie Wonder playing the drums. He's actually a really good drummer. And it made me think of a point about a singer also being a drummer. And I thought, well, who are some other great singers slash drummers? Um, Maurice White with Earth, Wind & Fire, the singer for Earth, Wind & Fire. Now, there was two sing- There's two. There was two singers in Earth, Wind & Fire. Now there's just one with them. Um, Philip Bailey, I think is his name, the the guy that sings the falsetto, the high part. But Maurice White was the one that started Earth, Wind & Fire, and he was the one that sang on all the big hits and stuff. He had the kind of lower, a little bit lower voice. And um, Maurice White also played the drums. He started out playing drums back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, or I think shoot, maybe even before that, like mid-60s. But um, when they first started, he would always play the drums in the studio and then, now when they played live, they had a drummer, they got a drummer that would play the parts that Maurice would lay down in the studio. But every time they went in the studio, it was Maurice laying down the drums. And he would, that's just the way he wanted it. He was also, you know, became a big producer and writer and all that. And then, uh, so another one um, is Phil Collins. This, these are just a few. Now, there's a lot of drummer, singer, um, people like that. But Phil Collins, because he is a writer and a singer and a great drummer, I always thought, I started thinking like about why certain singers or why singers that also play drums, let's say, um, why that turns out so well. And I think it has something to do with, this is just my opinion now, I think it has something to do with the singer sort of knowing what they want so well with the drums they're you know they're obviously a good drummer so they know instead of trying to explain it to somebody and try and say maybe the groove should go this way or that way or maybe this feel like a certain feel they know what the song needs to feel like and so they know what the drums need to be to make that song feel that way 
So does that make sense? So they know what they want. They know how to play it. They know how to get there. It's the, it's the shortest route to getting the groove that they want and finding that pocket. And then they're going to be singing to it. So if they're singing to what they've drummed to, you, you just, you know, I just think it, it creates a confidence. So uh, like imagine if you're Stevie Wonder, you've just laid down the drums. Obviously the drums have to go probably first, you know, and then you add like keyboards and stuff like that. When he, when he's singing on that thing, you can just imagine um, like the feeling of like, I'm singing to what I played, you know, I'm singing along to what I played. Same thing with Maurice White. It's that, that groove. Cause he knows he played it. He knows he knew what he wanted and now he's singing with it. It's like, it's like you're, you're singing with what you just played. And so what you were thinking when you were playing, you were probably thinking about vocals. And then when you're doing the vocals, you're, you're remembering what you played on drums and it just all fits together. Um, it's just a real tight thing that, that seems to work really well. The drummer being, or the singer being a drummer. And uh, so, yeah, and not all, obviously, singers can play drums, but the singers that can play drums, it seems like they always end up playing, you know, on the record or whatever. So that's, um, you know, very justifiable. I understand that. And that, um, but, oh gosh, Stevie Wonder, you know, when I first heard that, he was the one playing all the drums on stuff like that, like, um, you know, um, Superstition and stuff like that. I was like, man. Now, that's another example of a song that starts out real slow, and it speeds up, and it speeds up, and it speeds up. But nobody ever said Superstition was a terrible song or anything like that. But when you listen to how it starts, you know, uh, and then you, you go on into the rest of the song, and then by the end of the song, it's cooking. It's cooking along pretty good. And... uh Nobody ever said it was a bad song. It's a great song, uh, but it does speed up like that. And that's probably how, you know, maybe it wasn't intentional, but that's the feel that Stevie Wonder uh, put in that song. And it's great. It, it builds. Um, so, yeah, so that's um, a very cool way to think about it. Singer, drummer. And uh, so I'm going to get into a little bit about playing with a click and what I do when I am playing with the click and the way I think about it. And then I'm going to get into some comments and some uh, feedback that I've got from some other drummers that I've had on my podcast uh, before. And I reached out to them and asked them uh, specifically um, how they sort of go about um, thinking about the click and playing with the click and, and that kind of thing. And they each had kind of something different to say. And I agree with all of them. It, they're all absolutely perfect. And uh, so, but my, I'll start with my take of it. And now, when I first started playing to a click, it was a little disconcerting because I'm thinking about we're having to play live in on stage, you know, in a big arena or something, you know. And wow, what if I what if I get off of the click or it's a nervous thing? It's just like, oh my god, that would just be a disaster. And so I always made sure to have the click up in my ears, ear monitors enough which you have to have ear monitors in order to have click track when you play live. You could, can you imagine a drummer playing with a big wedge with a big speaker there that's blasting a click track, you know? Um, that would be a little weird. Uh, well, in country it would. Like in, in other forms of music, you could just have like a kind of a drum machine going and like a loop or something, you know, and just keep that going. It, you could hide your uh, your click inside of like what you would, you would hear as a, a drum machine, which is totally cool. Um, but... When I play live, I 
I'm listening to the click, and every click is a little bit different, you know, different the way it came in, the way it was done in the studio or the way I, uh, the way I create it for live. And it's, for me, it's all about subdivisions. I really kind of need to be able to hear some subdivisions in there. And what I mean by subdivisions is like, um, I need to hear sort of maybe a shaker that has like maybe 16th notes or even eight, eighth notes or whatever. And then I need to hear... Uh, sometimes I'll put a little cowbell in there, like a little, um, and sometimes I'll put uh, some claps in there on two and four, where the where the snare would be, the backbeat would be, and that just kind of helps me create kind of a rhythm to go to. So especially on slower songs where there's a long, uh, there's spaces in between the notes so much that you could get off the click and not know it. Um, so I like to have subdivisions in there. And over the years, I will say. That And one of my friends that um, chimed in with me, um, he agrees with me about this, or I agree with what he said, I concur with him, is that the, playing to a click track, you don't want to sound like a drum machine. Um, you want to sound like a real drummer playing. And so when you are listening to that click in your, in your ear monitors and playing along with the song, you, you get to where you don't really think about it anymore. It's sort of there, and you know it's there, but you don't really focus on that. You know, you focus on your playing as if you were, as if the the click were just in your brain somewhere, and and that also helps me play if we're doing a song without click, because I sort of imagine in my mind the the click sound in my head, and I'm sort of emulating that click sound, in, imagining it in my mind, and I'm letting that inform my tempo, and I keep it with that little ma- imaginary click track. So over the years, playing with click track is not all bad. It's been great. It has helped my time uh, immensely uh, with doing fills and everything. Um, and also, over the, you know, it's, it's gotten to where I don't really think about it anymore. It's sort of in the back of my mind, and I can just play and not worry about it. And I haven't, you know, I haven't any problems nowadays. And I've been doing it for about 20 years now, 20, a little bit more than 20 years that we have been playing live to not on every song, but on some of the songs on most of the songs have a click track going. And now we have, um, very cool video screens and stuff that play, uh, video content while we're playing. And so, um, it's great, you know, to just have good time. And another aspect of it that just me personally that I like is the confidence to know that when I'm playing this song, playing this beat, that, I am 100% right on the beat. There's no ambiguity about it. There's no, nobody can ever come up to me later and say, hey, I, it sounded like what about now sounded a little fast to me. It's That just takes it completely out of my corner. It's done. I don't ever have to, uh, you know, come back and say, oh, really? You know, you think so? Well, maybe I'll slow it down a little bit or, or whatever, you know, um, to try to, you know, I don't have to worry about trying to defend myself as far as the tempo um the tempo's there i'm playing to the click and it sounds another thing about that is playing live about the click is consistency now i have been in bands before where you play to a click track i'm I'm sorry back up you play you don't play to a click track and you're playing live and every night because of the energy you get a little faster and a little faster and a little faster. And then after about six months of playing the same song live, you suddenly go back and listen to the original uh, recording of the song 
whether it's a uh, like you're doing a um, like a, a song off the radio or you're doing like a cover song or something or one of your own you go back and listen to the original and you're like oh my god that sounds so slow because you're so used to playing it and there's something about when you're in a live setting when there's like thousands of people out there you're playing you're as a band you're playing live and there's a sort of a i want to say a nervous energy and and i don't mean nervous like in a bad way it's a good thing it's a nervous energy because you're standing there in front of thousands of people and all eyes are on you you as a band and there is a kind of a nervous energy there that you start playing and if you play something the correct speed it almost feels too slow and i have experienced this many 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 times where uh i would play it for a while and then i would go back and listen to the original think like oh i am playing it too fast wow that's weird i thought i was playing it like right on and it will actually be a little bit fast sort of sounds sort of urgent like rushed a little bit and i've heard bands before that really good bands really great bands um touring bands that play sometimes their songs so fast that it's just not enjoyable to listen to and i have a firm belief that and i hope i'm not wrong about this that uh, when an audience comes to see a fan, let's say a fan comes to see a band, they want to hear the song that the songs that you've put on the radio or whatever your th- songs are famous for. I think that they want to hear them as close to the record as possible. I mean, because they enjoy listening to those. I don't think they come to listen to any kind of new version of your hit song that you know, that, that you've come up with. I think they want, and it's almost like being a jukebox in a way, but, but there's a a certain buzz about that being like, wow, that's Elton John up there. That's Elton John singing, uh, yellow brick road, goodbye, yellow brick road. And it sounds just like the record. I mean, there's a pleasure about that. There's a, there's a euphoria about that. It's like, wow, he's playing my favorite song, just like I heard it on the radio, you know, pretty close. And, and it's, but it's really him up there playing it. So there's a pleasure about that. There's a there's a there's a comfort in playing the song. And I f- I'm a firm believer in that. I think bands should play their songs like as close to the record as possible. And uh, kudos to Huey Lewis for one thing that I really like about what he does or what he did. And I almost think that this might have been on purpose. Is that all the guys in his band? that you know that played on his albums and stuff um with the exception of like i'll say you know when they use the lindrum and all that um but all the players they also sing and all the vocal parts of his songs uh were sung by his band and so when they play live you're hearing the same instruments and the same vocals that was on the record so how could that not sound just like the record with when you've got the same players playing the same instruments and singing the same vocal parts? I mean, that is a gr- that's a great way to do it. I really have a lot of respect for Huey Lewis in a lot of ways. Um, he's I met him one time. Uh, we were doing a thing for our record company, RCA, and uh, I met him. He was like a surprise guest for our you know radio uh, CRS country radio seminar show, and he was there, and I just talked to him for a minute, just told him I was a big fan. And I told him that I played with Lone Star and he came back with, Oh yeah, I love your guys' band. I, I, I love Lone Star. And I just thought, well, he's either just saying that or he really does like Lone Star. And I, I it just sounded very genuine. And uh, I have a lot of respect for Huey Lewis. And when I heard um, 
well, when I always knew that, you know, that he used the same guys in his band singing the vocals, he didn't just hire like background singers or something like that. Those were the guys in his band. And when you see him play live and you hear those vocals, it's just like um, the record. So I'm a firm believer in that. So anyway, back to playing with the click track. I kind of got sidetracked there. Um, playing with the click track. I think um, that having the song be consistent over time. So years and years we've been doing Tequila Talking. That was our first release that we ever had out. And we play it to a click. It's about 100 beats per minute. It's, I think it's 99, but I think we set it at about 100, um, which is very, very close to the record. And... It just sounds like the record every night. And sometimes when I play it, uh, it almost sounds too slow. And, and even still, to this day, I'm, I'm playing that song thinking like, boy, that's, this sounds so slow. But I have the confidence to know that that click track is spot on. And I just have to conform my brain to slow down and think about the song and, and, and honor that tempo. And just everybody follows it, and it just has a great feel to it. Um, and... All of our songs that we do with the click um, have that same kind of uh, that same sort of just like the record tempo and that kind of thing. Um, you won't ever hear us doing no news or what about now or amaze or anything like that. Super fast. You just won't hear it. Um, and then when we do acoustic shows and stuff where we don't have the click, we have been playing these songs so long with the click that uh, it's sort of, like I said, tattooed in my brain, so that even when you hear an acoustic show, we're pretty dang close to the record tempo. So that's always kind of cool. Um, uh, I wanted to um, play you something uh, that I have prepared here um, to show you the difference between playing with expression, playing like an actual human, and then the computer playing it. And so I'm going to play this little beat here and it's the first it's going to be uh going through twice the first let's just say it's two measures long the first two measures is going to be just me tapping it out on my little keyboard here you know just from garage band um just tapping it out without any quantization now quantize means for those that you don't know quantize means that you go through in the computer and you tell it to correct everything perfect timing wise you want everything to be exactly separated perfect like a drum machine and when you and now you can actually have different degrees of quantization. You can say giving like sixty percent quantized or eighty percent quantized or a hundred percent quantized. And I'm going to play you a beat with just me. The first one's going to be me playing, uh, just tapping it out, just a straight beat. And then I want you to listen to. Now you'll hear the click track going too. Um, and then I want you to listen to it. The second time is going to be totally quantized. And tell me how it, what you think about whether it sounds human and then the second time around sounds a little sterile. Okay, so let's see if I can do it here. So here it is. with That's just me tapping it out playing. Right. Okay, so now coming up here, it's going to be totally quantized. Here it is. computer lining everything up perfect. So, right. Okay. So, I mean, you know, you can judge for yourself, but to me, when I hear the first one and I imagine a band playing with that, 
Um, if every single instrument was lined up so perfect that it, that, that everything was like absolutely correct and there wasn't any human breathing in between the notes, it would just sound kind of boring to me. It would just sound like kind of like one thing playing. But in fact, you have a whole room full of musicians that are living and breathing and they're playing along with something. They're listening to each other and they're reacting to what each other's playing. And I just think that's really cool. I've always uh, loved doing that. And that's what I love about um, playing. And I, I know that Paul Lyme in the podcast with him on talked about the joy of having a room full of session guys veteran players that really really play their instrument really well listening to each other and playing all at the same time and just um creating hit songs that way and that's always um a pleasure to to do when you have a whole room full of guys and you the drummer are laying it down and everybody's listening to you and there's there's other things like dynamics and stuff like that so you can play to a click and have that uh, going down but then you're also you know, doing fills and you're adding and you're stopping and uh, doing big builds and fills and stuff like that. It's just there, there's a lot of dynamics in there. So I think that's what that's what Paul Lyme is so good at. He's plays to a click, and he will actually go in and create the click track for the band in, in sort of a percussive way. He has like a computer with a um, little pad, and he can go in and create a loop that also can double as the the click or they can use it on the record. You know, it's so cool. Some of the stuff that he creates is, is so neat that they will end up using it on the record, like as a loop thing, you know, in the, say, the beginning of the song or something. And then when Paul comes in playing, then the group, it may stay there or it may bring it down or whatever. But it's a really neat thing to do. And uh, so I am going to talk a little bit about here some of the reactions I got from some of my friends that have been on the podcast before and what they had to say about playing to a click and how to get in that groove, create a groove and a pocket with the click going, you know, which is, you, it's kind of hard to do when you think about it. You get, you're being governed by that click track. You can't really, um, you can't waver very much. You don't want to waver too much, but you want to, you want to make it sound human. So um, my friend J.D. Blair, who played uh, back with Shania Twain back in the early 2000s and um, when uh, she was on the huge big world tours and stuff like that. And he was he was the guy that you saw back there with the goggles on. <laughs> and there's actually a story behind the goggles. If you go back and listen to my Designated Drummer podcast with J.D. Blair, he, he talks about the goggles and where that came from. Anyway, he's back there playing with those goggles on, which I think is really cool looking. But anyway, he says that he practiced to become one with the click. Like, he, that click to him was his, his guide, his leader, his, he wanted to, he wanted to use that click as a part, like another limb, like another part of his body, and match with it, so become one with the click. Um, and he said, so he would start by playing eight notes, straight eights, and then he would put some, then he said, he would um, put some dirt into it or grease on the pattern, loose. In other words, keep it a little bit loose. And that would give it that human feel. So first you start being one with the click, and then once you get that down, then you start to kind of play with it a little bit and try to put a little bit of looseness to it. Uh, like, like I was saying, like maybe bring that snare back into the pocket a little bit 
and that would create that pocket. So, yeah, that's um, J.D. Blair. Thank you, J.D., for for chiming in on that. I appreciate that. And, uh, okay, my next one is Keo Stroud, who was with Big and Rich for a long time. He's played with, God, he's played on so many sessions around Nashville, an amazing drummer. And he was with um, just recently, and I think he might still be out there with, I don't know if he's still with, no, I think he's, I think he left Big and Rich, and he's doing some other stuff now. But um, anyway, he says that in pertaining to the click, he would start out on um, 60 beats per minute. He would slow it way down, a simple groove at 60 beats per minute, and that's pretty darn slow. Um, that's even slower than like Back in Black. I don't know what tempo Black and Back in Black is, but it's something like that. You know, it's very slow. He would start. Then he would work up play with that click and then work up to 100 beats per minute and then possibly to 120 okay now he's worked up to 120 to where he's comfortable with that click track then now he said he would drop it halfway back to 60 again but play the beat that he was playing at 120 but you're only hearing instead of uh say instead of four clicks per measure whatever you're i mean sorry instead of hearing uh, uh, eight clicks per measure. Now you're only hearing four, and so, uh, and then sometimes he would drop drop it back even further to where the the click was only going when the kick drum would hit. And so what he's doing is he's testing his time by pulling back on the click and to where it's hardly there, but it's still it's still there, like almost like a govern. Um, so he's He's testing his own time against the click by slowing it down to half. So you don't have those subdivisions. And remember, I was talking about how I really like to have those subdivisions in there. Um, it's just a comfort zone. But he likes to test his time so that he drops the click back to where there's hardly any click at all. And that way, if you get ahead of it, then you, you know it by the next time the thing comes around. So you, you, you're sort of testing yourself, your time. And remembering the next time you play, okay, I think I played that a little too fast. I'm going to drop it back a little bit. And that's a, that's a great way to do it. That's a great way to condition your playing and your mind to play with a click so that when you're not playing with a click, you have good time, you know. So that's a great way to do it. Um, so the next one, oh, thank you, Keo. I appreciate that. Uh, the next one is Tommy Harden. And he is, he was out with Reba for a long, long time. And he's also on my podcast. You should go back and listen to him. Uh, amazing drummer. He's been around on sessions forever and still doing a lot of sessions. Um, and he's playing with Alabama right now. He's out on the a tour with Alabama. Um, and he has to say, what he says here is make each part of the kit dance. And I thought about that for a little bit, but then he goes on to say, after, uh, recording uh solo each part like so when you're in the studio and you're recording a part um say you're practicing to a click but you record yourself on separate tracks go back and listen to solo each part when i say solo i mean like listen to each part by itself the hi-hat the kick drum the snare and and check each one of those against the click to see if your limbs are fighting each other or if it's um if it's if it's grooving together, and he also says that he doesn't like it when he hears a drummer that's that's playing in the studio where his hat is he's laying into the hat too much. He's he's smacking that hat too loud and not hitting the snare enough, and he thinks that it should be 
a light on the hat and and keep that that backbeat really strong and that's awesome i've heard a lot of drums i really love listening to a, a drummer where it's the kick and the snare the downbeat and the backbeat are really strong and you barely even can hardly ever hear the hi-hat unless he like opens it a little bit or something you know i, I really like that subtle hi-hat i love that and so he's, he's saying keeping it meat and potatoes and light on the hat and then listen to those parts and condition yourself to play with all your limbs together like you're playing like you're one you know well you are one person but sometimes you can get off a little bit like your hi-hat can be off and go by soloing all that in the studio you can go back and listen to what limb might be off a little bit and work on that so anyway thank you tommy appreciate that and uh, the next one is chuck fields he's playing with terry clark right now but he's um He's been playing. He's on my podcast as well. He was my, I think, my fourth podcast when I first started doing all this. Great guy, man. Great drummer. Super great drummer. And uh, we just saw him the other day. Uh, we were playing some shows with Terry Clark and got to see him a little bit. And uh, anyway, I reached out to him and asked him. And he said that, and, and this is the one I really tend to agree with here, is um, he's been practicing for years with a click, making it so you don't think about it. And it's just in the back of your mind. And that's, that's exactly the way I sort of feel about the click and that I have adopted. I've been doing it for so long, I can just kind of put it in the back of my mind. And that's kind of what he does. He's been doing it as long as I have, playing with the, you know, for 20 plus years, playing with the click track live um, and in the studio. Um, but in the studio, it's a little different because in the studio, you don't have a thousand people in front of you listening to you play, watching you play, you know, there's kind of a nervous energy as I was talking about before with a, a live show. You want to, you want to play things fast and the band wants to, wants to play fast. Um, I used to be in a band in the eighties, a rock band and this guitar player in the band always would rush, would rush things. If it was a, a part where the drums would stop and the guitar would do a little thing and he would always rush. And it was just like, pulling teeth to try and get the tempo back down to a normal thing and I think it was just again that nervous energy that people tend to to have when you're in front of a big live crowd so I hope that you've learned at least a little bit about groove pocket deep pocket and feel and expression and all that stuff um, and again once again um, I, I hate to harp on the whole click thing but the only reason I I'm saying all that is because nowadays in the world that we live in, uh, every drummer is kind of not every drummer. I, I shouldn't say that because there there probably could be some really really great bands that go out and they play the very earthy kind of cool new uh, music. I've seen some really young bands get out there and play where it's very different. You know, the drummer may have like a hi hat and a snare and a kick and then maybe a tambourine or something. You know, very, very slim down kit, and they sound great. Um, but I just think in the modern world where we're touring, doing country music, uh, especially those of us who have had a bunch of hits in the past and the audience wants to hear your hits, um, they, uh, I think they want to hear them, the tempo of the record. And so you have other things going on like video screens and like us and things like that. You're sort of expected to play to a click. And especially in the studio, if you have a, you know, world-renowned producer, they may want you to play to a click because of they're on Pro Tools and it um, is easier to move parts around and, you know, like drop and drag and drop and that kind of stuff in this this um, environment in the Pro Tools. 
and uh, they want you to play to a click or what they call a grid. And uh, so that's a thing. And you just have to learn how to play to a click. And you, and I think the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. And but then, like I said, there's nothing wrong with playing, you know, uh, without a click as long as everything's everybody's playing together and it has a good feel to it and a good pocket. And like um, I can imagine, like the band Rush uh, with Neil Peart used to play. Um, I don't think now maybe more modern, like touring, they might've used some kind of click or something, but you listen to those records and the drums are, it's like a symphony, you know, they're just, they, they speed up and they slow down and they have like cool fills. And, but man, when you hear Geddy Lee playing with Neil Peart, he's there, he's, he's right on with him. You know, they're, they listen to each other and they play really well together. There's three of them and they listen and they play so well together. They can almost finish, finish each other's sentences. They've been playing so long together. And that that's what I think Kim Mitchell was talking about, playing with expression, you know, where it's not with a click, not with a drum machine, but just playing and playing um, like a human, a living, breathing human. And uh, there is definitely a need for that. And I think people enjoy listening to kinds of music like that. But then there's the kinds where you just want a good, steady rock and beat. And it's more about the vocals or it's more about a guitar solo or something like that. Um, and, uh, you know, Michael Britt brought up, brought up a good point when I had him on my podcast, uh, about, uh, tempo and drums and things like that. He said that he read somewhere that if you, if the drums are playing, if anything's playing and it's exactly the same over and over and over and over again, like a loop, then your mind after a certain time will tend to blank it out. Like it's not, you're not hearing it anymore unless something changes. And then if something like if a drummer's playing, a beat and that beat just stays perfectly the same, almost like a drum machine, kick, snare, kick, snare, kick, snare, kick, snare, for a certain amount of time, you're just blocking that out. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because there may be uh, some vocals that you're really, like a story that's there and you don't want to bring any attention to the drums. You just want that to keep good time. And it's more about the vocal or it's more about a cool guitar part or something or even a bass line or something like that. And then when it comes time for the drums to do a fill or something like that, oh, boom, wow, now it's I hear the drums again. Wow, that's cool. They did something different. And so it's in the forefront of your mind a little bit more. Um, so, yeah. And, I've you know, it's like Paul Lyme said, he has learned to play to serve the song because that's pretty much all he... I mean, he does play live sometimes, but mostly his whole career has been a session guy in the studio playing hit songs and knowing what to play on these hit songs. And like you said, serving the song. And when you play drums, you are serving that song. And it's not about you. It's not about the drummer, unless it is about, unless it is like you're doing a solo or it's your part, it's your time to shine. Like give the drummer a little bit kind of thing, you know, but the rest of the time, it's like you are there to support, you're the foundation to support the rest of the band so they can feel comfortable with what they're playing and they know that you're there holding them up, you know, because that's what you're doing as a drummer. You're holding up the band. You're holding them up like, uh, you know, you're holding your arms up and you've got the band. You've got the whole world in your hands. You've got the whole band in your hands and you're holding them up. And uh, that's kind of what it's like when you're playing a good groove and you fall back into that pocket and it feels good and everybody uh, in the band is playing really well. And then the crowd responds to that. There's a feeling that the crowd gets when, they hear a band that is just falling into that pocket. They have a good groove and a good pocket. And and the singer can just like sing around that and through it. And there's just something about that, man. 
I just, it, I can't stress enough a good groove and a good pocket falling into that pocket. And it goes back to what I said about the ditch, digging a ditch and then having those bowling balls down inside that ditch. They're going to, they have to go down there. There's no gravity's holding them down and they're going to follow that groove all the way down to the bottom. And that's kind of the way I think of the, the groove when I play. I'm, I'm creating that groove and everybody else is falling into that groove. And I love, that's what I love about playing drums and love it. That's what I love about playing drums with Lone Star. And as long as I've been doing it, I've been doing it for 40 years now, just a little over 40 years. Last April was my exactly 40 years making my living uh, playing the drums. And yeah, it's been fun. And I'm just going to keep doing it probably for another 40 years, hopefully. So anyway, um, thank you for joining me. I hope you've learned a little bit on this. And uh I hope you'll join me next time. Have a great summer, and we'll see you on the next one. Bye.